Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And today I'm talking with one of the best. You can see her here if you're watching us on YouTube. Um, if not, let me tell you about her. The, the one and only Dr. Betsy Redman. She has been a friend and colleague of mine for my entire career, really. We, we were together at Metametrics Laboratory uh, many years ago. So uh, today, Dr. Betsy Redman is a senior education specialist at Diagnostic Solutions Laboratory, and she's also a nutrition consultant. She is conventionally trained. She's got a master's degree in clinical nutrition from Emory and has a doctorate in nutrition from the University of Georgia. She has over 15 years experience in functional laboratory research and education. She was part of our brain trust at Metabetrics. In fact, we all leaned on her <laughs> her brilliance. Welcome, Betsy, to New Frontiers. <laughs> well, you're going too far. <laughs> <laughs> it's always great to be able to hang out with you. I'm very excited. So, you know, I'm just thinking about Jeff Bland. He started the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute, sort of the next generation of what we're thinking about, where we're headed in, in functional medicine. And I um, have been to many of his conferences, and we all wait with bated breath for metabolomics panels, so these you know more robust panels combining organic acids, amino acids, fatty acids, like just bringing that knowledge forward. So we started back at Metametrics, you you know you and I and the whole team <laughs> over there, looking at smaller panels. Like we were, it was the forerunner of being in the omics era. But I'm very excited to be talking to you today about you know, the metabolomics that, that, that DSL has gotten into and, and bravo you guys for kind of really taking the bull by the horns and bringing this to functional medicine. So tell me how you got there, how you guys decided to, to offer this and, and what you're doing. And then we'll talk about some of the specific markers. Okay. Yeah. We decided we wanted to offer, you know, organic acids, amino acids, it's, you know, in the functional space and, um, but we wanted to be what's current. So, you know, we looked at it and organic acids used to be more like this is high, it might mean this, or you might need to take this supplement. But metabolomics really looks at a bigger picture. And metabolomics really started with maybe just small molecules, but they've really pulled out. And so you can see they'll look at things um, like aging or metabolic concerns. They'll look at a group of people who have something and a group of people who don't. And then they'll look and see what's the difference. And oftentimes when they make these charts with all the bubbles, it'll be like tryptophan pathway, not necessarily specific markers or the phenylalanine pathway. So we wanted to look at it in a whole pathway. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we wanted to put them together. So if you look at our report, it will have, you know, branch chain amino acids right with their um, alpha keto acids or a tryptophan and the whole pathway. So if you look at a pathway next to it, you can then start to see where the issues may be. Right. And we will link to a sample report on uh, the show notes, people. So uh, access that. In fact, you may want to pause this and just take a second and grab it because we're going to refer to it. I, I got my test done. Uh, Betsy and I were going to record this a, a few weeks ago and then we <laughs> we stopped midstream and I said, I might as well get this done so that we can talk about it. Um, so on one hand, back in the day, we were looking at organic acids. If high, give B6. You know, If high, 
you know, maybe you've, you have some yeast or something. We had more simplistic explanations. We were in the research as much as we possibly could be. I know mm-hmm. we put tons of energy, but there just wasn't. But now we're really, truly entering the omics era, to your point. And now we're able to look at, you know, many more compounds and kind of really dance around what's happening meta- metabolically. And also, to your point, what's very exciting about this is we're looking at disease associations with imbalances here. We're looking at what healthy cohorts look like. We're looking at what aging looks like. So mm-hmm. I think um, it's just it's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, are you? This is no, a, I think it's great. Been a passion and then, project for you. It has. And I was <laughs> gonna say, you know, there's a lot of markers, especially if you're new, because we also wanted to like if conventional clinicians want to see what what is that? You know, so I want it to be easy to look. If you go to a look, you can take any of the markers we have, or really any organic acid, fatty acid, amino acids, and look up HMDB. So the human metabolome database. It's and we're, kind we, of, we'll we'll link to that on the show notes also. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you happen to know the website off the? Top you know what? Head? When I want to do we'll something like if I wanted to look up citric acid, I would just go to like Google or a search engine, put in citric acid HMDB. It'll come It'll right up. Right there. Okay. And so it gives you what's currently known. I mean, some of the things they don't go in maybe as deep as we do. Um, and then they'll also give you all the synonyms, which is really handy because sometimes things are called. That's exactly totally right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So you go on Wikipedia and you can see one name and then on the human metabolism da- database, actually they'll corral them all together. Yeah. Wikipedia, they just have synonyms. Wikipedia does, does, yeah. does that not so, so yeah, bad. Yeah. And they're, they, they're very, you know, sometimes Wikipedia doesn't go as deep to maybe as, as obscure compounds. I want to, I want to just say too, I'm looking at, I'm looking at my report and I've given you permission to talk, to talk freely about (laughs) it, but you've got, um, and if you pull up you guys, if you pull up the sample report, you'll see that there's a down and dirty reference. So if you don't want to geek out on metabolomics data, and if you don't want to go to the human metabolism database, which, (laughs) which is where Betsy lives (laughs) when she's not in Georgia, um, you know, you can get it down and dirty. This is where you need support. You need support in, in toxins. You need support in, you know, certain amino acids. You know, we can, we'll talk about the aging because that's, you know, an interest area for me, not just because I'm getting older, but (laughs) I guess, uh, so, so for clinicians who are working in a really busy practice and you don't have time to do the drill down this, there's a easy ready reference, you know, front page summary cover that will um, give you really clear direction. Uh, let's talk. So we can, we, let's talk about. Um, and actually, let me just say, giving you clear direct, tell me the clear direction that, that you can get. What can a clinician glean from this first page that's going to guide from the report as a whole, that's going to re- guide what they're doing with their patients. Right. It's kind of, it goes in like, I, I've always got to use hand motion. So it goes in like three <laughs> steps. Like the first yeah. one, the top of the front page is really broad. So it's going to look at a big overview. And then the bottom of that is kind of a further description. So it, we have six categories that we're looking at, like energy metabolism. And then we look at all these amino acid breakdowns, nutrition, toxins. Um, then we look at, um, what is it? The microbial metabolite stuff. Um, so we're looking at six different areas. And 
we have a, we look at all the markers in there and then we just kind of add up how many of those are outside the reference range. So we give a score. So it's based, the front page is based on the 95th percentile because that's by labs what they're going to put as out of range. So that that summary score of each category gets put at the top. But then if you look at the bottom half of the front page, it breaks it down. Like, is it glycolysis? Is it the Krebs cycle? Is it the phenylalanine pathway? So it kind of gives you an idea. And then the, the last layer is to just go through the test and it'll tell you specifically because we're doing it based on the 95th because that's proper lab work. But if you go through, you may find other ones that are creeping up that meet the story that you want to tell. Yeah. So then you can move into the heart of the laboratory um, data itself. And you have, which I absolutely love coming from, you know, our lab background, you've taken the time to divide them into quintile reference ranges. So we can see the outliers, the 95th reference interval. So the frank highs, the frank lows, but then we can also see where we fall within the population as a whole. You know, am I right in the middle? Am I a little bit high? Am I trending down? And then as clinicians, we get to drive the car, you know, much more efficiently, right. I think, and make and make good, strong clinical decision based on trends and not just frank disease. Like we're moving one of the things that Peter Atia says that I think is very apt, it's just and it's 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 easy, is he talks about the current medicine model being sort of medicine 2.0. You know, don't come to me until you have a disease, you right. know, then we'll diagnose the disease. But we know that pathological changes happen, you know, earlier, way, way, way earlier, maybe decades earlier, maybe in utero, even, you know, and it's only with these subtle you know, intervals, it's only with being able to look at the data much more clearly can we can we perceive those changes, you know, early on and actually make a difference. So yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think that's everybody with IBS, isn't it? Going yeah. to the, the conventional care and they're like, oh, I, we did a colonoscopy. You don't have cancer. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. So, yeah. And uh, you haven't pooped in three days. No big deal. Okay. <laughs> that's not constipation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um. So let's talk about some of the aging um, analytes in here. Uh, longevity has moved into the front and center of our conversation, maybe because of those of us who've been around functional medicine for a while, we're all marching into our 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, and we, you know, we care about it. Uh, but I think I think we're getting more and more in our space that the aging phenomena, the changes that happen to the body in the aging journey actually drive the diseases that we're trying to uh, keep at bay in functional medicine. So yeah. how can we assess that? Well, I mean, it's hard to study chronic disease and not also study aging. I mean, they exactly. kind of all move along together. Yeah, yeah. When you look at some of those um, research studies, I think, you know, I, I'm always, I've always got a stack of articles, but you know, so this <laughs> yes, one you is do. By, by Johnson it's from, in, and it'll be, I'm assuming all in the show notes, but they have a really great um, graph and it has chronological age on one side, biological age on the other, and then it kind of, you know, how much they correlate. So it has an R squared value of like 69. 0.69. So about 70% of chronological, you know, biological age is accounted for with chronological age. But there's such a huge variation. And I think that's where we want to kind of that's where go. it gets interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like they divide it by men and women, but there's like uh, you know, 
two men, one, you know, that are both 20, one looks like he's like 15 and one looks like he's 45. There's a 70 year old woman who looks like she's 40 and another one who looks like they're 95. And what they also found was that as people age, like they tested them five to 10 years later, the people who were aging faster were still aging faster. In this art, in this article, which is, is extremely cool, not a whole lot like, correlates, not a lot of these biomarkers correlate with, with the chronological age journey, but certainly some of them do. But the biological age journey seems, you know, seems kind of rich here, things that we can actually action and make different. But so, so talk to me about, um, about some of these markers that are really interesting to you and why. And then if you want to, let's talk about some of the markers you found on on my test. So talk to me about this, this paper, what's interesting there. And then let's talk about the, the test and, and what you guys have and what we can look at as clinicians. Yeah. I mean, so I was saying that, you know, they were looking at markers related to biological age and one of those was homocitrulline. So, you know, homocitrulline when it's higher, it was higher in people who had higher biological age. Got so. it. Okay. Okay. All right. So and that, it, mm -hmm. yeah, so it comes off of the urea cycle. So it maybe it's also, you know, related to like really high protein intake, um, any kind of kidney you know, impairment function. Um, so you can see higher levels and there's, there are articles talking about, you know, um, protein carbomylation, cause that's what it's called. When you make homocitrulline, it's, co it's carbomylation and it's been associated with aging. So, so it's a change to the protein structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is so it... just like proteins can undergo alterations with glucose. So yeah. you can make, you know, so the same type of thing, but it's with the um, isocyanic acid that comes off of, it, it comes off when you make urea, it also comes off and you can also get it from cigarette smoke. It binds with the lysine re residue and then you make homocitrulline. So it's, is it a surrogate marker of some sort of toxic process or is homocitrulline itself toxic? Do you know that? Just out of curiosity? I don't it's kind know of interesting because yeah. I mean, it's a byproduct. It's from, so smoking, you know, can cause this protein, the structural change to protein and aging, you know, we know causes the structural change to many proteins. And this is, you know, one of those markers. That's so fascinating. So I How will could, say yeah. yours was low. <laughs> Woohoo! That's awesome. That's all, well, and and how if we've got if we've got somebody with a high homocitrulline, what do we do about it? Well, I mean, it's going to be related to urea production. So I would, you know, well, first if you're smoking, I would kidney stop function. that. You know, look right. at kidney function overall. Like you yeah. know, and on our test, you could look at you know creatinine, albumin. You know, look at some of those things. When you go to make homocitrulline, also it shoots. It's it also shoots over and makes um, orotic acid. So more orotate would be made. So if they're both elevated, I would. You know, is it somebody who's on a high protein diet who maybe needs to pull back a little bit? Maybe they don't have the full function for that. Yeah, that is so fascinating. So they just they make so there's been this trend towards massive consumption of protein in our space. Um, we blogged on it recently, actually, we did a bit of a dive on it, but sort of the, uh, there's a movement towards consuming, um, you know, up to two grams per, 
per kilogram body weight or a gram a pound of body weight. So high, high protein intake. And it makes sense to me that it wouldn't be ideal for all of us. We're all different. And I know there's, there's um, compounds that we make in the gastrointestinal tract from, from protein or from certain amino acids that, that aren't necessarily our friends. So if we're consuming a lot of protein and we have dysbiosis, um, we might see some of those jack up and be associated with with insulin, like classically, excuse me, not insulin, with inflammation, like classically um, indican. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that that, yeah, that's one of the things I, because yeah, I think you're right. Everybody isn't going to be the same. So maybe you can't handle that. Right, right, right. Or at least not with your current, you know, metabolic snapshot. Right, right. So, you know, and so everybody's going to be a little bit different. So it might help you tailor that. Interesting. So homocysteine, homocytrolene would be one of those compounds of both. If it's elevated, we're thinking about accelerated aging. Specifically, we're thinking about kidney function. We might see it in somebody with higher protein intake who is not doing as good of a job with it. Right. What are the other, some of the, what are some of the other markers associated with Overall, Yeah. I mean, I think that there is, there is a good article and, uh, because I'm all about the articles. <laughs> because I yes, think there's are. so yeah, there's so many issues though. So you can start looking and you know, what are they doing? Are they looking at people who did age well, who didn't age, you know, I think it just depends on what you're looking at. So you don't want to automatically read a study and say, well, that's what I want to do. Just because older, you know, centurions might have that, but is that what you wanted? So there's that study where they look at uh, people who are older in China, like who live in a town that there are lots of centurions and they compare it to a regular town um, okay. where there's not lots of centurions. And then they found some things like they were more likely to have higher tyrosine, um, higher citric acid, um, higher lactic acid um, and higher valine. But so, yeah, and I think the citric acid, that's also so related to diet. So, you know, more plant-based diet tends to have higher citric acid. It can also go up if there's a issue with, um, with renal function, but your citric acid was good. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that, you know, especially because just recently my brother went through kidney stones and that's, you know, classically associated with low citric acid um, and, and dehydration. Uh, citric acid is one of the interventions, you know, lemon water, mm-hmm. we always recommend our patients to drink and very seriously. I mean, it can absolutely make a difference um, yeah. in, the form, in the formation of, of the um, calcium oxalate stones. So citric acid is evidence of a good diet and it's seen in people who are living long lives. Are they healthy? Did they look at that group and define that? They didn't really define that so much, but you see it in other st- studies where they look at people on more plant-based diets, higher polyphenols, citric acid. And it's associated and, with health? Yeah. So I think also we say like, don't, you know, don't eat a bunch of um, pectin right before you take the test. We have a list of some food because that can shoot all those up. The other, you know, one of the other things that we're looking at in aging, um, is a um, tryptophan, decreased tryptophan. And so that pathway, I'm sure, yeah, is fascinating because it does lots. So that's one of the ones that you had that surprised me was a lower tryptophan. And that's, so 
yeah and that's not a great thing i know it's kind of it's it's it's, I'm not gonna, I, I well, eat you, plenty of I eat plenty of protein, but I have struggled with like my albumin, which in circulation is you know that's another longevity um, metabolite, and mine tends to be a little bit on the lower side. I think I I actually may be somebody who needs to stay on eating decent protein. We'll see. I mean that might be a piece of the puzzle, but my tryptophan was low too. That's that was interesting to me. I mean overall, you looked great. I just want to be <laughs> good. I look youthful. Yeah. 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 You, yeah. Look like a 16 year old. Um, what? Um, so tryptophan, I want to talk, I want to understand about tryptophan, but what made you determine in general, you know, that I had a, meta, a, a metabolomic pattern of somebody younger. So first tryptophan and then give me your, yeah, you know analysis. what? I'll, I'll give you the, the rundown and then we can go mm -hmm. through the whole tryptophan thing. So um, you had higher citric acid you had higher alpha KG, you had, branch, yeah. Yeah, you had branch chain amino acids that were not high. So you want to have those in the sweet spot. You didn't have, you had lower quinolinic acid, your methionine was lower and your taurine was good. So those awesome. things, the, the two things that I noticed was you had a slightly elevated pyroglutamic acid, which might be a um, glutathione thing. And, yes. um, and then lower tryptophan. But the, okay. you had kind of a slightly different picture. So tryptophan can go on several pathways. So tryptophan, you know, can go over to make serotonin. Everybody's pretty familiar with that. And then, so the breakdown product of that's going to be 5-hydroxyindolacetic acid. Um, and yours was good. So you seem to be making that. But why normally when I see a low tryptophan, so tryptophan also goes to kinurinin mm -hmm. and then to make indoles in the gut. So the kinurinin pathway, normally tryptophan will throw out some, you know, the TDO enzyme in the liver. It's making some kinurinin. That kinurinin pathway goes through a lot of steps. It makes quinolinic acid that makes NAD. Like that's what it's churning out. But yeah. if there's any inflammation, it switches over into that extra hepatic IDO enzyme. And so if there's, you know, TNF alpha, if there's IL-6, different inflammatory markers, it just pumps up that IDO enzyme and that pulls tryptophan down to kinurinin pathway. And so we'll see evidence of inflammation. That's the pattern you usually see. So when you see a low tryptophan, you're flipping the page to look at inflammation. Well, I'm looking on the pathway because we also report kinurinin itself, mm -hmm. like not kinurinic acid, but kinurinin, that first step. That first step. So you can look at the kinurinin to tryptophan ratio, the KT ratio. And that's been associated with chronic disease. It's been associated with aging. It's considered- So a high K and a low T. Mm -hmm. Right. The other low T. Um, so. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> But so, yeah, so it, you know, you're going to be pulling that down. So normally we see, you know, it get pulled down. And when you pull down so much of it, there's so much inflammation. Sometimes yeah. people will, you know, essentially run out of tryptophan to make serotonin and they might be associated with depression. So yours didn't really have that pattern, but, you know, looking for inflammation, why is the tryptophan getting pulled down, down that way? Yeah. 
yeah, and inflammation, of course, there is, you know, unless we're very actively working against it, the volume on inflammation is going to turn up on the aging journey. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I can work on increasing my tryptophan with tryptophan foods and, um, you know, my, 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 my gut microbiome, but I'm glad to hear that inflammation is, you know, is a non-issue via the kind you're in and pathway. That's awesome. Can you tell if I'm, can you infer from this that I'm making adequate NAD from this information? Because that's another sort of a hot compound yeah, that we're thinking I mean, a lot about. So what you see in, in research, you know, what I've read is looking at that, that pathway will, you know, you'll end up making, you know, more can urine and you'll have in aging a higher KT ratio, mm -hmm. but then it goes down the pathway, but you have elevated quinolinic acid. So, you know, elevated because you're not going all the way. So quinolinic acid has a specific enzyme that QPRT, um, that it's very sensitive to inflammation. So then you end up pushing down the pathway, you end up with higher KT, higher quinolinic acid, but you're not gonna make more you know, NAD. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you end up with low NAD. So you're not making it because inflammation is stopping quinolinic acid. And then you end up with higher quinolinic acid. So you wanna check out all the spots of that pathway. And then, you know, the pathway is really heavily dependent on B6. So that's also something to look at. Probably, you know, there's some good studies looking at mathematical modeling and when B6 is going to come up. So trying to look at it, I mean, we've always looked at it based on uh, tryptophan load um, mm -hmm. studies, but most people aren't doing a tryptophan load. But in the mathematical right. modeling, they find xanthurinic acid can become elevated first, even though there's lots of B6 you know, enzymes that require B6 in the pathways and thuronic acid generally comes up first. And yours was a, a little bit elevated. It was. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. So I'm going to say that I don't have a lot of inflammation. So the, 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 the kynurenin pathway probably is going on to make NAT, but I don't mm -hmm. have that. There's not a whole lot of action here because I, and I don't have that much tryptophan. So I could probably use some tryptophan to support NAD synthesis. And then to your point, my xanthorinic acid's a little bit high. And so I probably, I could use some, I could use some B6 and that could help in, in driving tryptophan down to NAD. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always good to make it, make sure you support that whole pathway. Yeah. I mean, there was a study and I just always thought it was so interesting. They looked at, there was people who lost weight mm -hmm. and, um, as you know, they, they check their actual B6 blood level, PLP, and then they had them lose weight and they had less inflammation. And so with that, they weren't chugging through this pathway, but their actual B6 blood level went up because, and they were saying, well, probably because they didn't need so much B6 to chug through this inflammatory pathway because pretty much everything requires B6. Right, right. So by losing weight, they, in effect, turned the volume down on some of the metabolic damage that was happening, turned inflammation down and preserved B6 status. Is that yeah. what they were suggesting? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, all right. What else did you want to talk about on this, on the on some of the markers associated with aging? And then I, I, I want to spend some time talking about why my pyroglutamate might have been up because you had a really compelling reason that made <laughs> sense in in the context of my life 
So other yeah. markers, and then we'll yeah. Well, and the pyroglutamate, I was you know one of the markers that goes down with aging is glutathione. Right. So, so you just, must see pyroglutamate. So pyroglutamate indicates the glutathione, glutathione pathway is sort of being taxed. It's being used. It's being taxed. It needs support. Is pyroglutamate in the literature? Does it rise when glutathione, like in, in aging? I have, you know, I don't know if it specifically rises in aging. They talk about glutathione itself. So, um, when pyroglutamic acid goes up, it can identify that you have inadequate amounts of sulfur amino acids like cysteine, or um, you need some additional glycine. So if you think, you know, you yeah. need cysteine, glutamic acid, and glycine to make glutathione. So, and so we want to be thinking about that with a rise in pyroglutamate. Right, right. All of them. We just want to think about glutathione, but all of those individuals. I want to just say that pyroglutamate has cool research on, you know, rising with Tylenol toxicity. Oh which, yeah. That's its big, I think that's its claim to fame. It's fame. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's it, where they realized. Yeah. It's, it's a hepatic glutathione. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. Ty Tylenol steals glutathione pretty efficiently. I think there's that, that old classic article about the young doctor who, you know, somebody has acetophenamine, um, uh, poison toxicity and he gives them a bunch of um, glycine and stuff and knack knack is knack, standard yeah. of care i mean mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so when you look at that so when you, you go to your methionine pathway your methionine's lower which is is great because you see that in research like you know every you know all sorts of animals in research have lower methionine you know methionine restrictions a big thing I don't think, you know, it's, it's obviously not a solved issue. It's sometimes methionine restrictions a little easier than caloric restriction, but in some of those research studies, well, but do you know why is, why is an elevated methionine associated with aging? Do you know? I mean, that's like a classic amino acid in meat again, right? Maybe mm -hmm. would it be high in, yeah. would it be another thing that we want to maybe new like, like we just don't necessarily want to be consuming you know three steaks a day um, <laughs> you know if if we're paying attention to the literature on methionine but do, do right do, yeah do, i mean do, do i know would, why we want it lower like what do they say what do they speculate about in the literature i, I mean i think that there's when when we see it higher the first thing i think of is impaired methylation just because uh -huh. it's involved yeah. in methylation sure. and that's not something yeah. like, oh, methylation's great. Let's turn up the volume all the way. So you kind of want to pull back from that. And then, you know, so yours was a, a little bit lower, which was good. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm always looking for a balance. I don't want really high, really low. Um, yeah. You had some of the markers after it, cystathionine, um, that were higher. And some of those are, you know, cystathionine itself can become elevated if there's a need for B6, B12, folate, those kind of markers can impact it. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And I do think I need support in methylation, you know, even as I, you know, people know me, you know, researching specifically DNA methylation, but I need to tend to my methylation cycle. I mean, my homocysteine will definitely trend up if I'm not being mindful about consuming adequate methyl donors for sure. So that makes, that makes, that does make sense to me. You know, I want to actually going to your point of high methylation, high methionine, you know, in, 
in negatively influencing the methylation cycle, that really famous um, Jill James study, it's, you know, looking at the methylation cycle in individuals with autism, this is going, it's a super old study, but it was impactful on me. It was in 2004. And so methionine was high in this population. Homocysteine was low in this population. And um, they opened the whole methylation cycle with methyl donors. So with B12 and folate and betaine, um, they dropped, so they normalized homocysteine levels. They, in they actually increased homocysteine because homocysteine was low, but they also dropped you know, the elevated methionine and, and, and glutathione synthesis. So glutathione, you know, being produced from the sulfur in homocysteine um, improved. It's it just, I mean, it was really cool. So by addressing the methylation cycle, it just had these far reaching effects. Yeah. Um, and didn't she have like uh, sibling control in that study? I think she did. Yeah. yeah. And then one of the yep. siblings had Down syndrome. So she found a similar methylation impairment in, in Down syndrome. Wow, that's fascinating, which we which has been identified elsewhere. It's been published on elsewhere. That's very interesting. Okay. So so that higher methionine, we're thinking about, you know, maybe protein consumption, animal protein consumption, but perhaps more more likely yep. just methylation. Yeah, looking at those things because the, you know, so you have the the methylation cycle and then goes to cystothionine, and then cystothionine goes down to that transulfation pathway. So, you know, what, what we're looking at there is cysteine, mm -hmm. which, you know, plasma cysteine can be rate limiting for glutathione. So, and how was um, mine? What was my cysteine? Yours was it on the lower end. Yeah. Yeah. So that's some, some, you know, good research. I think, I think there's a whole blog on that on your side. Mm -hmm. um, so that low cysteine, which I, you know, I, you know, when I saw the article on that, I actually contacted the, um, author from the Netherlands and I'm like didn't you mean cysteine and you know and he's like nope I meant cysteine um so you know that's on the lower end and you certainly you don't want it super high either but it's going to help that you know feed into there and but then you it, so earlier the reason cysteine is important you know everybody is aware of cysteine homocysteine cysteine and glutathione but cysteine is actually two cysteines complex and that is how it gets intracellular so that's basically how glutathione is produced yeah so it's going to come in and then you're going to have like the glutamic acid's going to come out and cysteine's going to come in and it's going to feed the cysteine 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. so um you know and that's going to go get together with you know glutamic acid and glycine and make glutathione and intracellularly. Make glutathione. Yeah. So you have a low cysteine, you have a higher pyroglutamic acid. So do you maybe need some support there? Some TTAC support. And I, you know, when we were talking about this, so we'd want to, actually, so we'll let, we could jump into that. And then I had a really high, what did it, what was really high, but we it was puzzled over for a minute. Yeah, so we look at some in some toxic markers. We look at mandelic acid and benzoyl form. Um, we also looked at different um, xylene markers, two, three, and four. Um, but so your mandelic acid was on the high side. It was over the ninety fifth reference. It was high, frankly. Yeah. High. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that seemed a little bit puzzling because I, you know, I was say only once have I seen somebody with less than DL on all of them. Most people just get exposure. 
to, you know, mandelic acid is going to come, you know, just from tar production, from petroleum byproducts that they make things. You can get car exhaust, you can get contamination in, in food packaging. But um, so yours was a little bit higher. And then you realized that you amazingly. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out that we have had you know, just massive construction road work going on out just outside of our house for it's only, it's just wrapping up now. Uh, it's been going on for, you know, over a year. There has been a ton of, so recently paving is the last thing that they do. Recently they did all of the paving, including a chunk of my driveway. They expanded, they put sidewalks in. It was a massive uh, project and it, it seems obvious, right? Like, of course, that's your exposure. But because it's been just in our lives for this chunk of time, I haven't, it hasn't, it wasn't top of mind. But of course, I've got evidence, you know, of exposure to petroleum compounds. I mean, tar has just been in the air. It's interesting, even though we've got you know, air purifiers in, in, in the house and, and I keep the windows, you know, close to the construction closed. Of course, I've got some of that background exposure. I mean, you know, I need to do this on, on my daughter as well. And, you know, suggest it to my neighbors. There's, there's three of us, three houses, like sort of together and kind of the heart of, of what's been this, this project. And it's, you know, thankfully coming to a close and it is, it has made everything better there, but yeah. I've been, we've been, I've been under this lasting toxic exposure that you've, you've picked up exquisitely and we can see that it's influenced my, you know, my glutathione. And I, I when I first looked at these labs, I was like, what, you know, that can't be what? me. Yeah. What, <laughs> where am I getting this? And as you and I just sort of teased apart the pathway and I thought about it, I'm like, oh my God, it's huge. You know, yeah. and this is, I don't know, I, I wouldn't, this is not information that I was getting anywhere anywhere else with this level of clarity, this level of sort of granular detail, A, what I need to do, what's happening, what the exposure source is, how it's influencing my detox pathway, but also how it's influencing, you know, negatively the aging journey. I mean, you can see how this is where it starts, you know, and if I yeah. continue to have bit these exposures. Bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I know it's true. We're like going back to the, the, the Peter Atia idea of, you know, medicine 2.0, this is medicine 3.0, where I, where I get to correct this. Right. And, and I will say, you know, if you want to test your daughter, this was the urine part. So you can do just the organic acids. So um, you, you don't yeah. have to, you don't have yeah. to do the, the blood draw. I would, yeah, I would, I, I absolutely want to test her and, and, you know, my intervention is going to be now, like in your opinion, what is the best approach? Do I use, you know, preformed glutathione? Am I using glutathione or NAC plus some, you know, yeah, some I mean, there's not one great study that done has done a comparison, which reminds me, I got a, the lottery, the big lotto is up to a billion. And that's what <laughs> I always say, like, I'm going to enter that lottery, and I'm going to win a billion. And I'm going to do so much functional medicine research, I'm just going to answer all these questions that I have. And you um, will. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so I, I think that I would think about glycine and NAC, you know, mm -hmm. because you also, I think, had an slightly elevated benzo benzoate, benzoic acid. So um, 
which you know same it's from it's probably from this same exposure that's been happening right so you can get it you know we look at it in the 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 microbe section microbial metabolites you can get it from diet you can get it from microbes but you can you know get it other places but it should conjugate with glycine and become hippuric acid right and yours oh but my hip i'm not making that conversion yeah so you're not doing that so is there not because is i'm stealing my glycine for it's toxic burden. Is that what you're thinking? I'm not even sure why you're doing that. I think there's other things. Glycine does a lot of conjugation stuff, but just looking at that. So your, your benzoic acid isn't over the 95th. It's at the 90th, but most people are less than DL because it just gets cleared out all the time. Right. right. So, um, you know, I think that just another reason that I would think of glycine and then it should go over to hit your hippuric acid. So generally you'll see hippuric acid higher and benzoic acid all the way low. And so yeah. I'm not, I'm not seeing that in you. Elevated hippuric acid has been associated with a, you know, more Mediterranean type style diet. It's been associated with um, uh, better gut diversity. So looking at that, but I was going to say with that, um, that mandelic acid, you also had um, glucaric acid, which was elevated. My Mediterranean is... diet. I've been noshing on this all day. <laughs> she ran then out you... of salad dressing. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, and the mandelic acid and the benzoyl form, those have been like collected by N. Haynes data for a long time. So you can actually break it down, you know, N. Haynes, where they look at 5,000 Americans, I think it's every five years or 10 years, and they just look at everything. So you can break it down by gender, by age, by location, if you're interested in all that. But I think that that was, you know, one of the things that I would think of with your 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 uh, detox. So thinking about that you have an elevated pyroglutamic acid, you have a, a, you know, what looks like some some need, for which can identify glycine need. And then you have that benzoic acid that's elevated. So more on glycine, the cystine, that's a little bit lower, the somewhat toxic exposure. I think those are the things that I think stood out. Okay. On your otherwise really good looking part. <laughs> um, you've inferred it's more glycine because you're pulling in a handful of other analytes. So pyroglutamic acid could indicate cysteine as well. Right. But and your cystine, cystine was numbers. low. Okay. Well, your so I do need low. some cystine yeah. support. So I would do both can, of them. We can also clearly see glycine support. So those are the two, those are two of the three amino acids. And I need, I need both of them. Um, glutamic acid. Do I need glutamic? You looked at my glutamic. Wasn't that a little bit on the lower side? I think your glutamic acid was actually, yeah, it was on it was. the lower side. So I need yeah. all three aminos. I need, so, so preform glutathione wouldn't be a bad idea. It wouldn't you be know, a bad plus idea. Plus another kick of glycine. Yeah. And there's some research, like if in research that specifically, and I'm not putting you in this category, specifically looks at frail older people that glutamic acid tends to become elevated or comes low in people who are frail. Interesting. So. Um, glycine is a longevity amino acid. I know it's sort of, you know, moving up the ranks of getting attention these days. Um, so we want to have enough of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, so I think there's some really good long-term research when you look at metabolomics and, um, 
metabolic concerns. So these are the research that they've looked at, the Framingham study, the PrimeMed study, that, that they've looked like for a long time, you know, decades, and they've associated higher risk of metabolic issues, diabetes, obesity, in people who have elevated aromatic amino acids. That's going to be phenylalanine, tyrosine, the branch chain amino acids, mm -hmm. um, higher glutamic acid, and higher lactic acid, higher alanine, those, and then lower glutamine and lower glycine. So those so that pattern. Wow. Yeah. And, and so I did look at, you know, that's another one that branch chain amino acids can become lower as you age there, you know, and the, the assumption is that they become lower because as people get older, they have less muscle mass. So it might be related to sarcopenia. Some research has noticed that it starts to decline when you know people are in their 30s. There's a um, you know a, a really interesting article, and they put people in categories of you know 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, 60 plus, and that they also they looked at branch chain amino acids and they looked at cardiorespiratory fitness and then some other things, and they have it in a real nice, I mean, if you've got a nice pathway or a nice diagram, I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it really, everybody was maintaining it until they got to 60. Hmm. And at 60, it just kind of dropped. The branch yeah, chain amino acids dropped and the cardio respiratory fitness went up. So, you know, it, it can have a big drop. So when I'm looking at Cardio respiratory fitness, mm -hmm. their their fitness increased or de declined? Decreased. Their, decreased. their cardio yeah. fitness declined and their branch chain amino acids declined. Also declined. Um, yeah. So they're, you know, you're thinking of it. I'm going to look at, I have your report like on another computer. I do, here. by the way, I just got my, my um, VO2 max done and, and it recently. Was excellent. It, it, I was in the 90th percentile for my age. I, I went to, yeah, at UConn, I'm here in Connecticut. There's the um, Corey, Str Corey Stringer Institute, excuse me, mm -hmm. where they do, they just, it's, it's an incredible place. I was so fun. It was really fun to hang out with the, with the PhD students and get tested. And <laughs> um, it was exciting. I brought my bike up there. We hooked it up and they took, they, we, I did my lactate threshold. They took a bunch of blood specimen and um it, yeah, it was neat to see that even, you know, with this busy world that I live in, I do put attention into exercise, I put attention into muscle mass, I put a, attention into cardiovascular fitness, and I'm, you know, doing pretty good. So yeah, I mean, I think exercise, you know, I know you're a big proponent of that. One of the other mm -hmm. things that, you know, mentioned with exercise is it can clear kinurinin. So that's what was one of the other things like your kinurinin was low, but maybe the exercise, you know, kind of helped bring that down. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And we, and we saw that my lactate was high, you know, and, and I mm -hmm. said to you that it's, it, it's, it's certainly possible that I had done a more intense um, event before I gave the specimen and I perhaps should have controlled it. So the day before I might've, you know, done a in, more intense resistance training or high intensity intervals on my bike or something like that. I think just um, knowing what you've done before yeah, is, yeah. you know, otherwise you don't, you know, you, you don't need to make it perfect for the test. But um, if you're not, if you're not, if your lactate is up, if you're an anaerobic metabolism and you're sedentary, you know, that doesn't bode well. That's a strongly pro-aging pattern. Right. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there's some good population studies looking at that. I think there's yeah. a big Dutch civil service study. Yeah. And they just looked at urine, lactic acid and alanine. They looked at, you know, they found a lot of things, but those were two that really stood out with the whole um, kind of glycolysis process, process that when those are elevated at baseline five years later, those people are more likely to have metabolic issues. But it makes then, sense. I mean, yeah. it just makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the following the pathway, you know, mm -hmm. follow the pathways, just pull them up and you can kind of see where they're going. Yeah. Um, you know, with your branch chain amino acids, they were, you know, they were fine. They were, you know, a little, uh, you know, valine was a little bit higher, but overall they were, they were great. Your alpha keto acids. So looking at them all together. So I don't want them too high because that's yeah. going to be associated with metabolic conditions, but yeah. I don't want them too low because that's going to be associated with, you know, with aging, muscle, with aging. Yeah. Sarcopenia. And, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. so you just want the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah um this has been great i i mean i can see the areas that i need to work on you know i've got a really clear action plan i know why um i need to work on these areas based on you know exposures i'm grateful that the construction is done uh we don't we, we're not going to have any more tar being dropped in in our neighborhood i i, I certainly hope so i can start doing this cleanup i want to evaluate my my daughter and you know i'll talk to my neighbors about it see if they're interested because we all, we'll <laughs> all have some, this yeah yeah i'll we'll have it um what else uh betsy like what else on this on this report do you want to do you want to bring out we talked about toxins we talked about you know some of the really cool patterns associated with aging and what we might do about it um yeah there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot here i and in fact i would just suggest and then i'll shut up it's for anybody diving into metabolomics, it's fun, it's powerful, there's a lot of action, and you could certainly start by using the ready reference page one, but also consulting. You know, you're available. People can Yeah, we're available. And, and you know, yeah. we have stuff on our website. You don't yeah. have to even sign up on our website. You can just go to the learning center. Um, you know, I have a, um, a webinar that's on aging and metabolomics. That's awesome. on, you know, the metabolic function of metabolomic. That's on mood disorder and metabolomics. There's there's one that correlates gut function and metabolomics because that's so closely put together. We have, and you and I have a previous conversation when you were first launching the panel. So I think it's going on two years now that we'll link on the show notes as well. So we talked about some pattern analysis there. All right. So just in the final, in the final minutes, what, t t what else? Tell me what else um, we want to talk about. Well, I, the other one that I, I think that I briefly mentioned was alpha-ketoglutarate, alpha-ketoglutaric yeah. acid. And that one has, um, and it's been around a long time, you know, but people don't always pay attention to it. And, <laughs> and yours is good. Yeah, yeah, higher. Yeah. Like certainly they have supplementation with alpha, you know, AKG. And yeah. that's been shown to be successful. But yeah. um, well, it's actually been shown to lower biological age as you know, by one clock measurement. And um, it's also known to drop with age. So right. Well, from 40, yeah. from 40 to 80, there's a tenfold drop. Wow. So it really drops. Yeah. Right. I know oh. I'm smack in the middle of that. So it's like, okay. and, and it's, sort of the heart and soul of the Krebs cycle. So it's right in the mitochondria. 
you know, it's a key player in generating energy. It also happens to be a cofactor in demethylation on DNA. So keep, you know, we need it to take methyl, methyl groups off of the DNA. We need alpha ketoglutarate to be able to do that. And so if you, if you're hypermethylated, you know, and you don't, you know, and, and if you have a good gene turned off with excess methylation on it, then, you know, you need AKG to do that cleanup, but um, it plays some very important roles in the body. It, yeah. Yeah. And it, with the more acidic um, situation, it can go down. So, you know. Oh, so that would be like inflammation. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or people who maybe shouldn't, you know, I think of some of the research they've done, like people who are getting a more plant-based diet and I'm, you know, I don't think they're necessarily looking at vegans, but just making sure you're getting all those plants, mm -hmm. you know, that was associated with, with a better level. Interesting. And they, but, and did they, because, why? Because they were more alkaline. I mean, I think mean? when it's more acidic, it gets, um, it gets absorbed. So they have, you know, that it, it under, you know, more acidic conditions, it just, it gets absorbed and results in a drop in just urinary excretion. Oh, okay. Huh. So we're looking at urinary. I mean, I think that the Krebs cycle, it's so fascinating. I think, you know, years ago it was like, well, this is high, so let's do that because, you know, it, they, there are a lot of nutrient cofactors there, but there's, everybody flows into there you know, fats flow in, glycolysis comes in, all the amino acids flow in there. You're it's connected with the urea cycle. So it's just like every, everything's happening there. In the mitochondria, in the Krebs cycle. Right. Yeah. So cellular respiration. I mean, it's metabolism, right? It's sort of like right, the, soul it is. Of, <laughs> the soul of metabolism. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So of course so. It, everything would go there, protein, fat, carbs all ends up there. Yeah. I mean, and I think the, you know, as I guess thinking of last words, some of the things that, you know, in researching all this and getting it started and looking at, you know, researchers are putting it out there um, that it may be, you know, it's going to become one of those things that you just do every year. Like you're going to look at certain markers every year. And this is really going to tell you, you know, and it's good to compare against yourself. Yeah. Because there aren't necessarily standards that's, you know, there's healthy reference range. Yeah, we have that. Um, but for you yourself, like what pathways are impaired and, you know, so, you know, oh, that's a change, you know, so you can address it differently, but just getting it every year. I mean, well, you think especially, about you know, as we would, we, you know, we've been talking about aging a lot. We're, it's, we're both interested as, 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 as we <laughs> we're march. Both a, as agers. <laughs> we are, we're both agers. I mean, there's a lot, I want to make sure that I'm as dialed in as I can be here, you know, just like I took the time to do my VO2 max and, you know, take the time to exercise and, you know, work on living, eating well, et cetera. Like I, I want to know these are dialed in. Yeah. This is just going to be at a, you know, at a much more, a smaller level. Yeah. yeah, you you know, you can see, I, I, yeah, I got a good muscle tone. How's it all functioning? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things we were going to talk about, and then, and we forgot to, so I want to bring it up because I think it's really, really cool. Is I'm, you know, you look at equal, and oh, my, right. and I, so let's let's talk a little bit about equal because it is a, it is it's a it's an awesome compound in my opinion. It's an essential, important player. So 
What right. Is so we have like, uh, you know, our section six, which is microbial metabolites. So it's a combination, just the, the markers on the page, you know, that's where um, indolacetic acid is listed too. Like it's looking at what bacteria do you have in your gut? What are they getting? Like what's coming into the gut and what those bacteria are making. So looking at all those metabolites. So you had good indolacetic acid, you have some polyphenols there, um, but one that you had was the equal. So yeah. that is going to be, you know, it, 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 it gets made and it's got certain health benefits mm -hmm. um, and it's made from isoflavone. So certainly everybody's, you know, thinking of um, soy, but it turns out the nut that's highest in, in, in that is pistachios and you're a big pistachio eater <laughs> we, we always have a ton of them in the house like it's just sort of a, a background item in our lives pistachios I mean I probably have a handful of pistachios maybe two you know most days yes I I'm so you know for me in my research we're looking at um in a, so in the aging process you start to hypermethylate and turn off incredibly important genes genes that keep us healthy, you know? So another angle of looking at aging being the biggest driver of disease is the, are these hypermethylation pa patterns. So we start, sh we start shutting down protective genes um, and turning on pro-inflammatory genes. And we turn one of the things that the, there's a lot of research looking at the tumor suppressor genes getting hypermethylated as we age. It's like, we're just shooing in cancer, you know, it's crazy. And equal, so there's a whole table in, in the book that I that I authored, Younger You, and um, looking at these tumor suppressor genes. And equal is a key player in supporting the re-expression of these genes. And I want to say that most of this research is done in vitro. There are some animal studies, actually sulforaphane is badass for helping turn back on these, these, these tumor suppressor genes and being effective in animal models. But in our research in humans, we can see now, and this will be, this will be published in the not so distant future that we've had an influence, a favorable influence in our, our diet uh, and lifestyle intervention on, on tumor suppressor genes as well. So it's incredibly exciting. I'm, uh, but equal is just shows up over and over and over again, equal. Um, but we need to be able to make it you know, we need to be able to make it in our GI. So I, I was absolutely thrilled. And I know a lot of people are anxious about eating soy. I'm not, if we eat good quality soy and we can tolerate it, you know, if it's organic, but um, yeah, pistachios. I mean, I don't eat a lot of soy. I do, I, you know, every once in a while I will, but it's not a big player in our lives. So as you and I were brainstorming, like, why do I have equal? <laughs> I had to look it up in my own book. Oh, pistachios. Wow. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah. Number one nut. So yeah, yeah. I keep cracking. I'm, um, um, yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled that I've that I've got background equal. Yeah, it's a nice little thing to have. I think when they look at population studies, probably 25% of, you know, Western oh, countries. Oh, make it, have the correct, it. wow. Yeah, yeah so you have to have some of curve. that. Um, yeah, it's nice. So that's, it may be a little bit of a surrogate suggestion that I've got some diversity happening with my microbiome that I'm able to make it. I think people in Asia, soy consuming countries mm -hmm. have way more equal. They, they and have, this is, yeah. And they this have is associated time. with lower risk of breast cancer, less uh, transition to menopause, you know, just less symptomology with, with, with menopause. I mean, equals just a really important player. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, I'm a it's, fan. It's a nice little bonus to have. It's a nice little bonus. <laughs> I was pretty psyched. To, I was A, really excited to see that you were measuring it because I was just waiting for a lab to make it available to us. But then B, yeah, I didn't anticipate being a producer. So I was pretty happy to see that. Um, Dr. Redmond, it was just great. It was This was a really fun conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, I, hope- I like confirming that you're that your health is good. You'll, yeah, you're going to make some it another action, year. Yeah. I'm making a little it little enough, but action. I need, I, I need to, I need, I've got some, I got, I got my, mar- I've got my marching orders. Um, thanks for joining me. We're going to gather all of your papers. I will be downloading some of those papers myself. Um, we'll, you know, we'll get a, a, a sample report so people can walk along with us as we, as we take this journey. And, um, you know, I look forward to, I look forward to seeing you in the not so distant future and, you know, having another conversation on new, t- new frontiers. Yeah. Would like it. Yeah. We'll do a follow up. <laughs> we'll do a follow up. <laughs>